Thank you for downloading Season 5, Episode 4 of Baseball Pitching the Fix. I am your host, Joe Janish, and with me, as always, is baseball pitching motion expert Angel Borelli, who's been working exclusively with pitchers from the Little Leagues to the Big Leagues since 1995. And Angel, how are we doing today? I'm great. How are you doing? I am very good. And today we're going to talk about the changeup, one of our favorite topics. We had some discussions offline, and I've been coaching baseball for almost as long as you've been teaching pitching mechanics. And through the years, there's been a lot of discussion about how to throw the change up, how to improve your change up location, how to take some speed off the ball. There's all kinds of different theories and ideas. And I thought, you know, there's a couple things that I, I wanted to talk to you about because I don't have the knowledge, background knowledge that you have. And maybe you can cast some light on some things that I had heard over the years and some things that I've seen done by coaches and pitchers over the years. So there's two schools of thought with throwing the change up. Now, there's one idea that I had learned a long time ago in regard to location, not just of the change up, but, but the fastball as well. And that was to practice location and getting movement on the ball. A pitcher should throw from a shorter distance, and the suggested distance to me was 45 feet because the theory is that if you can get movement at a short distance of 45 feet, you'll get even more movement when you go back to 60. So that was one school of thought. And then there's another school of thought that in order to learn how to throw the changeup properly, that you should throw it at a long distance, you know, as far as 75 feet or even 120 feet even further. The whole idea being that the arm speed being the same or something around that. And and it also because the pitcher gets comfortable using the changeup grip. So I wanted to pose this question to you. Which school of thought with your experience and your knowledge makes more sense? Would it be practicing the changeup from a short distance or practicing the changeup from a long distance? Or could both methods help a pitcher with his changeup? What a great question. Actually, I was having this discussion with one of my favorite coaches. We were talking about practice methods. And I think that this is a great opportunity for me to once again, give coaches ways to look at some of the things they're doing and also maybe inspire them to have new ideas about the way they're doing things. And so this coach, who is a great coach, was mentioning to me about the changeup and how he likes to move uh, the pitchers out. And his exact words were that he likes to move them out beyond 120 feet or to, to about 120 feet so they can see what the pitch does and so they can uh, learn not to uh, slow their body down. And obviously, and, and when he said it, uh, there was a part of me going, first, I'm always intrigued by what coaches do. And I know they have a good reason for doing things. So I was working in the way my brain works, which is understanding why this coach thinks this is a great idea. Also, totally understanding the thinking behind it. And then there was a feeling I had in my instincts that something wasn't right about it. And in fact, at the moment, didn't even, uh, you know, really say anything to him. And, and then I had a later conversation with him. I said, you know, I've been thinking about something you said. So it's along these lines. And your issue or your question and your method of uh, throwing shorter uh, that, in a sense, I can see why that would make sense to somebody as well, because uh, they're, uh, especially when you're thinking about location, et cetera. So 
um, you know, as a sports scientist and, of course, also as a, uh, you know, I've been teaching strength and conditioning for, you know, I've been in business 38 years. So being a teacher of movement, also I was an Olympic weightlifting coach. So teaching high-powered movements, and when you're doing that, you have to work with different weights. You're getting different speeds of movement on the weight that you're lifting over your head, which is what Olympic lifting is. You learn a lot about when you, what actually gives you value to what you're trying to accomplish. So I want to call this section the keeping it real se- section of the podcast. Keeping it real whenever you're trying to accomplish something with the sports skill means you have to kind of do it as close to what you're actually doing or you're not actually teaching anything. You can depart from the circumstance. For example, we know he's got to throw 60 feet, six inches. We know he's got to, uh, you know, locate it. We've, he's got to do this. He's got to do that. So anytime you pull away from that, whether it be that you, like with some of my drills, I have them not have a glove arm or they have them do something with one leg or whatever, you can do that, but you have to do it very quickly for just a moment in time. And then you have to get back to the real thing because you are teaching a different skill. A skill has to have all the components of it for you to perfect it. You can break away from one part of it. So when the uh, this coach said, and let's let me address the longer distance first, when uh, the longer distance, and I believe the discussion that we were having, and I think you and I have had this, is that pitchers who throw the change up and it's too fast. So they want to have them go a longer distance so that the they're actually seeing what the changeup is doing. And maybe with that extra distance, they're going to feel themselves throwing harder and not changing their mechanics. And actually, that's what I think the point was. They changed their mechanics. For 45 feet, you're thinking is probably, well, they're not going to throw as hard. So now they're going to learn to throw the changeup slower. Is that correct, Joe? Would that make sense? He's throwing it too hard. Let's move him to 45 feet so he, he, he uh, you know, isn't throwing it as hard. And that way he can learn to keep it slower. No, not necessarily. I actually, with the changeup, it's so important to have movement. And I've had pitchers practice both movement on their fastball and their changeup from a shorter distance just to get the, the movement on the ball, the, the little tail down or the little sink to the left or the right. So really it was... It was more about getting the movement than necessarily having him throw it slower. Gotcha. Okay. Because I remember with this other coach, he was talking about when they move too quickly and they or they change their body speed. And so the changeup's too fast or it's got something where they're doing it differently. So when you elongate it, it gets them to move more naturally. So obviously with the changeup, now I work, of course, with the pitching motion, but of course I have to work with specific pitches because if a pitcher is having trouble with something. So the problems that I see, in fact, in the last week, I've had a pitcher whose changeup was, uh, he, he wasn't taking enough speed off of it. I've also had a pitcher whose changeup was sailing over the catcher's head every time he threw it. I've also had a pitcher who couldn't locate his changeup to save his soul, even though the speed on it was correct. So I have to always look at, and these are pitchers who, by the way, 
you should be locating it because they're good pitchers. So obviously when you've got a pitcher who he can't locate anything, especially maybe a youth pitcher, you know, it may not be a variation. It may not be the pitch itself or something they're doing with the pitch. It could just be their mechanics. But in this case, these were pitchers that should have been able to locate their changeup and maybe at one time in their career were, and they were older and they were excellent pitchers. So when, whenever you're working with the motion uh, or trying to accomplish something, you have to think about what is the thing that you have to practice. If a, if a changeup is going too fast, that means he's doing something incorrectly with his wrist because the wrist controls the speed of the ball. The most interesting thing I learned in graduate school from one of my advisors who was an ex-Yankees uh, pitcher in the minor league system is he said to me, he said, um, we were talking about the changeup, and he mentioned how the lever change uh, with the ball being closer in the palm is uh, one reason why it goes slow. And, of course, that would be true if you're doing uh, a regular changeup. And the other thing that I he gave me something to read, and I thought it was so intriguing uh, to learn that the fingers don't impart any velocity to the ball. Because, obviously, we're always talking about the fingers on the seams, the seams and the spin, blah, blah. So you would maybe just kind of think, oh, the fingers are involved in the velocity. They're really not. The the pressure and where they're at and what you guys do with all those special things you do with your fingers and you're putting them in certain places on the seams and the position of the ball, that's actually affecting the looseness or the tightness of the wrist. And the loose, looseness or tightness of the wrist is actually the issue when you're having somebody who is not throwing it with the correct speed. And also, Joe, it would address directly the issue of location because the way that the finger is putting pressure and the way that the wrist is thereby transmitting force, it's also transmitting trajectory. Now, the short distance for practicing the changeup could be good for the pitcher who does not get over his front leg correctly and he's trying to be in a little bit closer so he can learn how to get over his front leg, which he will probably do if he's going at a shorter distance. Getting over the front leg is very important. But in terms of the actual grip itself, the grip is where you want to look to pitchers when they're having trouble with location and or velocity. So in the case of the other coach who thought that 120 feet was going to quote unquote give the pitcher a chance to see what the ball actually can do, the way it actually probably slows down, breaks, etc., in a sense, this would be a drill that could actually cause some problems because we, and, and that is an inherent problem when you take a pitcher beyond 60 feet. So in your case, when you shorten the distance, you're not really doing danger. You're doing something that you think might work and it's probably neutral in the sense that it might work, it might not, but you're probably not going to cause a problem unless the pitcher six foot five then that guy needs to be back at 55 feet. A six foot five pitcher acts weird when you have your catcher at 45 feet. I've seen it for myself. Uh, they're too close. So if you've got a really tall guy, you can shorten the distance. You can't shorten it that much. So your idea is probably neutral in the sense that it might work, it might not, depending on what you're working on. 
try it, but get them back to the regular distance immediately. But the longer distance is really the issue for causing problems for the pitcher because, first of all, we know that mechanics start to change beyond 60 feet. They start to change in tiny ways, very tiny at 75, bigger at 90, definitely bigger at 100, definitely different at 120. Beyond 120, you start getting major force change issues. So you've got somebody at 120 feet. Now, we have a rule that if you're going to go beyond 60, you always use a slide step, excuse me, a shuffle step, you know, and some pitchers use crow hops to get the feeling of the rear leg and the power so that you're still delivering the ball and not putting too much strain on your arm. Well, if you did that with the change up, then you'd be creating too much power at 120 feet. You're not trying to create more power. That's number one. Number two, the precision of each pitch is so important. And the pitcher is learning the feel of that pitch at 60 feet. The second you take something that's precise and you mix it in with other variables, like let's go 120 feet. While you think you might be helping with something, you are hurting. Because first of all, the body changes too much. We already know that there's three things that happen when a pitcher goes out beyond 60 feet. Number one, his shoulders, which should stay level, end up tilting. He tilts downward in the back, in the back end. On his, let's say if he's a right-handed pitcher, his right arm will be lower because he's, he's going on an angle because whenever you throw beyond 60, well, let's just say 120, you're, you've got to have an upward component to it. You're not just throwing downhill. You can't get it at 120 feet if you just think down. And the minute anybody thinks up, they're going to tilt their right arm down for a right-handed pitcher. So you're going to have a shoulder tilt. When you have a shoulder tilt, you rotate differently, so your release point's going to be different, especially on a guy who doesn't have that tilt. And especially on a guy who's having location problems, you would never do this because now you're changing his body mechanics. He changes them, and it's natural. It's not that he's doing it. He can't not do it. The second thing we know is that the front knee changes whenever you change the distance. So when we look at long toss and different you know, uh, components of that, we see huge changes in the front knee, and therefore we see huge changes in the way the body tilts forward at the time of release, which is what we call trunk tilt, the forward trunk tilt towards the direction of acceleration. When you get those three things changing and you're changing them, trying to learn something about a pitch, especially the change up, then you're changing this perception inside that pitcher's body. The other issue is it's obvious that you have to have more force in order to get the ball 120 feet. The increase of the forces around the elbow and shoulder and even though the changeup is usually less than a fastball, are going to be greater than what he's got to do to be precise at 60 feet. So now you're tinkering with the body's what we call proprioception in terms of how hard he has to throw it. So while one thing might make sense where, uh, you know, this coach said his exact words were where they can 
they get a chance to see what it can do. I kind of think he means, you know, watching the actual way the pitch breaks, slows down, et cetera. But that doesn't mean that it's going to do it that way at 60 feet. So what you're doing is introducing a whole nother thing. So it doesn't necessarily transfer over, but at the same time could be deleterious to the performance and actually cause confusion. Does that make sense, Joe? Yeah, it does. It makes a lot of sense. I mean, I would think that if you're thrown at a long distance, like you said, you're going to have a different release point and a different angle. So once you go back on the mound, you're going to have that release point at the very minimum is going to change and change the uh, the effect of how the ball comes out of your hand and, and, and how it's going to move. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. And I think all the problems with the changeup occur at the hand level. And I think that w- what you might want to do, coaches, and you probably already do this, and I'm not uh, uh, saying that you don't do it, but here's the thing to remember. You're obviously trying to come up with something that is going to, because this you wouldn't be dreaming something up unless the pitcher needed something. And if he needs something with his changeup, it usually has to do with location or the speed of the changeup. And of course, again, I'm talking about pitchers that have a great fastball so that, you know, there should be an obvious difference. So if you're looking at location and speed on a really good pitcher who doesn't really have big problems with his mechanics, uh, because if he did, he wouldn't even have a good fastball, that's when you want to get very specific to what I said about the things that change that are important to each pitch are the fingers, the grip, and the wrist. The wrist is actually the major player in what happens with the ball. But the fingers and where that pressure is, is what's at, it's imparting a change to the wrist. So for example, on a regular changeup, I don't know, what do you guys call the regular changeup? Is it a choke change or just you just call it a change, a, a, just a normal change? Yeah, there's there's a couple different grips. There's an okay change. There's a circle change, which is basically the same thing as an okay change. I like to teach the pitchfork change, which is the, the three fingers on top of the ball. And there's palm ball. I mean, but generally, most pitchers seem to use the the circle change. Okay, so the the first pitch I want to talk about is not the circle change. It's the because a lot of my pitchers, the grip looks like a four seam grip. I think it's called a choke change, and the the ball, the fingers are the tips are off the ball, and the pressure is on the first knuckle. Okay, and the thumb is on. Okay, so you still have the four seam grip, the two fingers that are used, and the, the thumbs under it, but the fingertips of the thumb. And the ball and the fingers are off the ball because the palm, the ball is placed way back into the palm. So you couldn't even get a finger. If you went from the thumb side and tried to get a finger in it, you you couldn't get your finger in it. The ball is placed back. It changes the lever. This is the, the pitch my uh, my advisor was telling me about. And the, the fingertips are actually off the ball. They're not digging down onto the seam. And the pressure is actually on the first knuckle. Now, because that that sounds like the palm ball. Yeah. Okay. And now because you've got pressure on that index finger from the knuckle, not the tip, you're getting serious pressure in the wrist. 
and the wrist is more, it's in a more extended, hyperextended position, and it's a little bit stiffer. So when the ball is delivered, it's delivered with a different speed. Okay, so and that's because of the position and the pressure coming from the the uh, first knuckle and not from the tip all the way down. Now, the circle change has, you know, the fingers, the two on the side, and now you've got two different fingers, and those tips are actually on the ball. So now you've got a whole different action going on at the wrist. So always check to be sure that the fingertips are either on or off, and if they're off, then you have to put the pressure down in the right knuckle. I mean, you really need coaches to look carefully at the way they're placing everything. And one thing I can tell you is, and I want to remind everybody when I talk about these things, I'm going to always do this disclaimer. I'm not talking as a pitching coach, put it here, you get more movement. I'm talking as a kinesiologist explaining how when you activate certain joints, it activates certain muscles. This is kinesiology. So when I see a thumb, when I see a pitcher release a ball and my eye goes to his thumb, it's going there because let's say I don't usually see a thumb there. I haven't even maybe been thinking about a thumb and I don't even know where the thumb maybe should be, but I know that on this pitcher, for some reason, his baby finger or his thumb, it just is sort of sticking out. And so I go and say, show me your grip. And when I look, I'm not looking at the grip the way you guys might, which is where is it in relationship to seams? Is he holding it correctly? I'm looking at, does it, is it doing something weird to the wrist? And because when you have your thumb involved on grabbing anything, and anybody who's ever had a thumb injury knows this, it changes the way the wrist works. And everything in pitching is about the wrist at the very end of the motion. I don't care how good your mechanics are. If your wrist mechanics are off, that will be a problem. And by the way, it is the reason why pitchers get the quote-unquote yips uh, that that name that's been given to that, that's a finger wrist issue. That's how it starts out. Something's going on on that level in most cases, and then it becomes like this huge other problem. But always when you find yourself trying to search for a teaching method to solve a problem with the, specifically the change up and your, its location or speed, always go to do to the fingers and to the grip. Uh, so that you can be sure that he's allowing the wrist to do what it does, because that, in the end, is what changes the speed of the ball. And, you know, and that's something that I find very important to remind pitchers of. They don't have to slow down the pitch. The position of the ball in the hand and the position of the fingers changes the way the pitch is. And when pitchers hear that, even though they kind of know it, that in itself can help them realize that they've got to keep their mechanics the same. And I think that's something that gets forgotten a lot. Okay. So looking at it from a kinesiologist's point of view, is there a significant difference between the change-up grip that you described, which I, it sounds to me like the palm bowl or choke change is another way to call it? versus the circle change versus the pitchfork? Do all three grips essentially create the same wrist 
action or inaction that we want, or is one a little better than the other? Well, I think, you know, I did research on the change up on the pitches. I had to do general research when I was writing my book on strength training, the fingers and the wrist. And when I what I remember reading is that each each grip does something different with the ball in terms of the way it breaks, the kind of speed it has. And what was interesting that I thought is there was a lot of commentary on, on how hard some pitches are to learn. And so I think that, yes, uh, from a baseball coach's point of view, I am certain that there are many reasons why they would say one pitch is better for another. But from a kinesiological standpoint, you're, when you have a, a different fingers involved you're, and different pressure in where you're uh, – so you have different fingers involved, the finger placement, you have different pressure placement. And both of those things create a different action at the wrist and at the forearm. So not so much in the forearm in the sense of rotation, because there is not rotation, but in the sense of tightness through the muscles of the wrist, which go up into the forearm. And all of those things are going to change the way the ball breaks or moves. But here's the real thing is that the reason why I believe pitchers pitches probably were designed other than the way that they affect the spin is your hand size has tons to do with what you're going to be good at throwing. So what we have, what you just said to me with all those change-ups, and I don't know much about the uh, third change-up you mentioned, but I can tell you this. That if a pitcher, and especially when I was working with youth pitchers, I would see very strange things happening coming out of the glove. And you'd have the 10-year-old who could hardly hold the ball, and then you have another kid with long fingers, or you have someone trying to have a split change, uh, you know, or throw a split fastball, and their fingers are just too small. Uh, uh, Most of the time, it has to do with comfort. I mean, you have to find the pitch that you're comfortable with and the pitch that the hand fits around. So as a kinesiologist, it's just like when I'm looking at mechanics of a pitcher who has shorter legs and a long upper body versus longer legs and a shorter upper body. The way he strides and the way he rotates and the way he gets over his front leg is going to be completely different. But the principles stay the same but it's going to be completely different. So you can't ignore the anatomy of the pitcher. And then from that, you then get the grip or the style that you as the coach, like if you love a certain way a pitch breaks and it breaks that way because of the style of changeup it is, absolutely go with that. You're the coach. That's what you're supposed to be teaching. But his anatomy has to accommodate that as well. And one isn't going to be worse for the anatomy or the other. And you know that I'm a fan of it's all good as long as you take care of your body if you do it. And as long as you strengthen the things you need to be able to do it well. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Now, another thing that I've heard from different pitching coaches, with both the changeup and the fastball, actually, there are different spots where we might move the thumb either up or down along the side of the ball. I had heard from at least a couple different coaches that 
if the placement of the thumb was too far up on the side of the ball as opposed to below the ball, that it could cause a problem with the elbow. Is there any, does that make sense to you at all? Or is that doesn't make any sense to you? Well, what makes sense to me is if you uh, have just a pronated grip and you move the thumb upward, you're going to get rotation in the forearm. And if you're trying to resist your, so if you just right now put your hand out like you're grabbing a ball and then you take just your thumb up and move it, you're going to notice your forearm rotates a little bit to the outside. You're starting to get supination, which is what you do when you throw a curveball. But we're just doing this from a palm down grip. So you start to change the way your wrist is behind the ball. The finger placement does that. Now the pitcher, his job is to direct that ball to the plate, and he does not want that movement. So he's not saying to himself, oh, I have, I have my thumb here. My forearm's trying to rotate. I'm not going to let it because I won't be behind the ball. He's not saying any of that. But because his job is to be behind the ball, what he's doing is his body is resisting a motion outward so he can stay more behind the ball, and that's what will strain the forearm. In other words, he is not positioning his fingers correctly to allow the, there's that word again, the wrist to be in the right position. Do you get that? Yes, I do. Yes. So genius, whatever coach told you that. And here again, I say this, and I know you coaches know, I feel this way. You guys are geniuses. You know things, you don't know why, but you kind of know it. But there's an explanation for all the genius thoughts that you have. And I understand every one of them. Even when I see crazy things being done, I see crazy things. There's things I see done in baseball, especially for hitting. And I go, why are they doing that? Because from a sports science point of view, it's like, oh, my gosh, like my favorite thing to hate is when I see hitters having a ball thrown at them from a guy sitting at a bucket on the side and the ball's coming from the side and he's hitting forward into a net. That's a traditional drill, right? Yeah, absolutely. Right. But the ball doesn't come at a hitter from the side. (laughs) No, that's true. So I said that exact thing to a coach out here, and he looked at me with his eyes open. He's like, I mean, he totally had that moment of silence like you did. And he goes, oh, my God. And so he called me up about a month later and said, Angel, I just, you know, that was for, of course, not wanting to get hit, blah, blah, blah. And he says, but... I just got an L screen and I I just, I figured out a way. And he said, oh, because isn't hitting a precision skill? Yeah, sure. And aren't you always always teaching the eye to see the ball? Yes, absolutely. In every one of those, in every one of those throws, you're not training the eye. Okay, now, coaches who just heard this, I, I was just throwing this out as a, as sort of a thing I think about, but all of you coaches work with hitting as well. I don't, but think about this. When you hear this, I know you're like, oh my God, if for some reason you don't care in that moment about training his eye, and I don't say that facetiously, if you say to yourself, you know what, this, the reason why we, I do that is for this, and so... I will give up that with the eye. 
fine. I, uh, I think a coach should think things through and use his instincts to be the best coach he can be. And everything you do should have some objective to it. And my job is to teach you to look at things and give you more information so you can make maybe better decisions or validate the ones you're already making. So if you have a situation where you don't care if that hitter has to see the ball, it's okay for him to not practice seeing the ball coming at him. In fact, he's got to learn to see it from the side. Uh, Fine. But if you are like, let's say you've got a hitter, and let's say his problem is you see him taking his eye off the ball or whatever it is that, that hitters do. You know, I know what pitchers do, but I don't know what hitters do. But let's say you've got a guy who he's got a problem with eyes. Well, you would not want to give him that drill. When, he, when they're all hitting, doing that, you send him into the cage with a machine or something. Okay. So isn't that interesting? So those are the kind of nightmares that I have <laughs> when I'm on a baseball field. I scratch my head and I go, why are they doing that? But, you know, I mean, it's just it, you can't you can't see you can't stop your brain from thinking. And when you get a background in science, there's so many way, things to think about. So anyway, there was a little extra tidbit on hitting and no, everybody, I'm not a hitting coach, not a pitching coach. I'm a pitching motion coach, but as an analytical kinesiologist, we analyze everything. Main thing is objectives and making sure that whatever you do, you do no harm to the skill. And that is like number one philosophy. So is that all that makes sense? Yeah. You know, I'm so tempted right now to start talking about uh, practicing off a batting tee, but I want to keep this a pitching podcast. (laughs) That I wouldn't even know how to comment on. There are a few things I think are weird, but I don't know if I've thought that one's weird yet. I don't know enough about hitting to know if that would be weird or not. But anyway, so okie dokie. Okay, so since we, since we were talking a bit about, you know, more about the wrist, and now I'm getting more interested, and I'm thinking about another type of change-up. It's not all that popular anymore, but... Some some pitchers do throw it. There's there's a pitch called the screwball, which essentially is really just a changeup where you you kind of turn your wrist over a little bit. You kind of overpronate it just to get a little more movement. Mm-hmm. Is that is that something that could be a bad idea for the arm to instead of just throwing it straight like you might and snap down as you would like a a fastball or keep your keep your wrist just stiff to take off the speed. It, if you kind of turn it over a little bit, is that a bad idea? I'll tell you what, if you give me a two weeks to do some research on it, I'll come back with an answer to that because I don't, I don't ever comment on anything that I don't know. And I don't know the pitch. I don't know the grip. So I can't analyze the actions. Like when you mentioned moving the thumb up, that's very simple for me to see because I can see the action of the forearm and the implications of that. But I don't know enough about this, but I promise you that on the next podcast, we uh, will revisit it and I will answer that question to the best of my knowledge after I've done the appropriate research. Well, that is very fair. I will take you up on that. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) <laughs> I know. <laughs> I I want to change thing. <laughs> I want to change things up a little bit here, just for a moment. 
Oh, ha ha. You're, you're the one who's always throwing me curveballs. I'm going to throw you a change-up since this is the change-up episode. Exactly. In one of our previous podcasts this season, we were talking about getting the arms in the proper position during the stride. Some coaches call this the goalpost position where you have the, the, mm-hmm. two, the two hands mirroring each other. Mm-hmm. So I had a question from a coach that heard the podcast and said, where is the front foot supposed to be when those two hands go up in the goalpost position, for lack of a better term? Okay, so in science, we, t- we say it in reverse. When the front foot makes contact with the ground. So if you've got the pitcher who puts his foot down in my most favorite way, he puts it flat down, That's, that moment is called stride foot contact. And if you do a frame-by-frame analysis, you'll see one frame, click, his foot's right over the ground. Next, next frame, click, his foot's on the ground. That's when you stop. You see, so you stop right there, and then you look over at his arm, and that is where the arm has to be in that what what I guess in baseball you would call the early cocking position, where the shoulder itself is up at the arm is up at shoulder height, and your forearm uh, is at that specific angle that we like. All right. Okay. So it's the arms there when the foot touches ground. Now here's the deal, guys. You've got to be an expert at knowing when that foot touches the ground, okay? You've got to have film to be able to do that or you will not see it. The other thing is you confirm it by seeing that the next click, the back hip will start turning, which means that, yes, that movement when the foot touched down was stride foot contact because as soon as the foot touches down, the pitcher starts turning to go into the rotation phase. And that's why we want the arm in that place because as the body turns, the shoulder has to turn also. It's turning backwards, it's externally rotating. So that arm right there means that it's in position for the rotation phase. So did I answer that, do you think, clearly for your friend? Yes. Front foot touches down, whether it's the heel, which we hate, the toe, not bad, flat foot, perfect. The minute that's down, check out where the arm is. That's what we do. That is stride foot contact um, analysis. And that, that that position right there tells you everything that you need to know about this guy's pitching motion. What's on time, what isn't, and what is going to happen in the rest. That's a very important part of the pitching motion to have down. All right. And then I'm very happy that we covered it and that you explained it in full, because if it's that important, then we need to keep an eye on that. All right. Thank you. And I love that the coach was confused and called and asked you and I, and coaches, you know, you always can do that. I, I know there's many of you that do, but I don't want anybody running around out there confused. My job is to help you look at things in uh, different ways. All right. Well, I think we have uh, you warming up in the bullpen. And yes, it looks like it's time <laughs> to bring in the closer for the ninth inning. So, Angel, what do we have on tap? Okay. Here I am, number 42. Uh, I'm on the mound now. So, okay. And actually, this is kind of a relationship uh, to what we were just talking about. So, um, 
you know, I have a lot of really great pitchers that I work with. And when you have a pitcher that's really good, he's really big, he's throwing really well, but let's say for some reason his velocity is not getting to where you want it to get. There are many things you have to look at to see where is he losing uh, his power. But there's one thing that I've seen, and it's very prevalent in, in pitchers, and so I want to mention it to everybody. So as I just said, after the front foot lands, it makes contact, eventually gets flat, of course. The body starts rotating towards the plate, and it rotates, and then the pitcher ends up completely facing the plate, and then he accelerates the ball. Okay, and that's called the rotation phase. And we want rotation to happen the minute the foot lands, he turns, and then he throws. Well, ideally, we want that rotation to happen on a level plane. And what that means is if you put a plate down on the table and just spun it around, it would be spinning on a level plane because the table's flat, right? Right. We don't want tilting and things that happen during rotation because it changes the speed. It also will change the angle of the release, et cetera. So we want stride, turn, throw. Well, what happens is, and as they throw, they tilt forward. So let me say this again. We want you to stride. We want you to turn. Then we want you to go forward from your hip, your left hip, if you're a right-handed hit, hitter. Your trunk tilts forward as your arm comes forward to release the ball. Now, what happens with a lot of pitchers is their brain is working a little bit ahead, and they blend the tilting of the trunk forward with the rotation. So as they're turning, they're tilting too far forward. And because they're tilting forward as they're turning, they end up usually tilting their whole body. The right-handed pitcher, his head will go to the left. His release point will be high. And then when he goes to deliver the ball, because he's already tilted so far forward, he's got no weight of his body to go forward with the arm, and he ends up losing it's probably three miles an hour, maybe more. So when you are looking at a pitcher and you can't figure out what's he doing, why isn't he throwing harder? And I'm talking about the details that you want to look for in a good pitcher. Make sure that a pitcher does not start. And, and the way you'll know it is when he's in his max external rotation position. He's at getting ready to accelerate. He'll be so tilted forward that all you'll see is the arm come forward to deliver. The good pitcher is using his body and his arm. Remember, you know, old school, keep the arm with the head. The head goes forward, the arm goes forward. Well, if your head's already forward, then you only could bring your arm forward. Now, Joe, did I say that in a way that you understand or? Uh, ask me any part of it to say in a different way for those who maybe didn't get it. Yeah, I think I can, I think I have it in my head. Yeah. Okay. Probably if we had some pictures, it'd be easier, but we don't have any pictures on this podcast. Yeah. Remember, remember that the trunk, the arms attached to the trunk, 
And when your arm goes forward to deliver the ball, you want the trunk going forward too, right? Right. So the trunk and arm are going together. And as that trunk goes forward, that's why the back leg comes up into follow through because you've taken all your body weight, you're going forward. If you go forward as you're turning with your body, not your arm, but with your trunk, mm-hmm. you not only get off alignment, you, you run out of body mass to have behind the ball. You're still going to maybe throw hard, but not as hard as you could. Huh. See, these are tricks. You know, pitchers come to me. It's not like, oh, I don't throw hard. I get really good pitchers. And they're, and, and it's, it's cool because I have to find why aren't they throwing harder. And these details all suck up miles per hour. Little tiny details like this. So stride, turn, tilt forward as you throw. All right. You know, I'm thinking about it. Yeah, I'm thinking about it. And it, it sounds a lot like how we coaches also teach hitting. A lot of times we see hitters who will kind of, we call it leak, leak forward. So like their, mm. their, their upper body mm-hmm. will kind of start leaning forward. Yes. You know, when their foot comes down and the, and so because you have your weight yes. and everything forward, you can't really rotate your hips as well. So you're kind of like, you lose a lot of power because you're kind of leaking forward. It's kind of the same idea, I think. Yes, you can't be, I'm assuming you would say you're not behind the ball correctly with the hitting. No, I know exactly what you're saying because hitting's interesting. You kind of have to keep your weight back and behind. And that's the same thing with pitching. You want to be behind and then put everything behind forward, you know, and that's that's what you want to do. So I love that analogy because that is, to me, a guy baseball kind of thing. And so I, I, coaches will be able to make maybe a better connection. But yes, if they lean, if they're, the, if the pitcher's thinking, I got to go forward and I got to lean down the hill and I got to lean over my leg, that's all correct. But he's got to lean at the right time. And if you do it too soon, you run out of lean, you end up leaking is a great word. You end up leaking all your power and then the only thing that's behind you is your arm and you, your trunk's already forward. So that is a perfect analogy. So thanks for that, Joe. Yeah, sure. Thank you. I, I, I was trying to think about it in my head and then I was like, oh, wait, this is exactly how we teach, you know, the stride and hitting. I mean, it's, it, I think we've talked about this before. Most athletic movements, you just stay back and stay sideways as long as you can until you're ready to explode. I mean, that's the very simple way to put it, but kind of all works the same way. That's exactly right. And yeah, and I'm so glad you're you're uh, mentioning it because uh and by the way for your youth uh, coaches, if you've got a kid that does that when he's hitting, which maybe you can see real easily, I think it's easier to see hitting mechanics without a camera than it is uh pitching. But guess what, guys, if he does it when he's hitting, he's probably doing it when he's pitching. Yeah. So if you know what you're looking for, you'll be able to see it without a camera. That's excellent, Joe. All right. Well, thank you. But I'm, I'm still going to give you the save. Okay. Thank you so much. I appreciate <laughs> it. Because <laughs> I got to keep my record. That's right. You can't be- believe how good my record is. All you need is an invisible ball. <laughs> then you have the best ERA in town, which is what I have. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll, t- I'll tell you what. So far this season, you're four for four in safe situations. So I'm telling you. I know. It's so cool. <laughs> Anyway, so 
Awesome. Well, thank you so much for all your input. This is why you're here and you're a great baseball guy. I appreciate it. Well, well thank you. And, you know, I, I want to say thanks to everybody listening for listening to Season 5, Episode 4 of Baseball Pitching the Fix. If you want to learn more about Angel, you can go to her website, gymscience.com. You can find free articles there on how to keep pitchers safe and performing their best. And, of course, you can get Angel's book, Strength Training the Elbow for Baseball Pitchers. As I've said many times before, it's a must-have. If you haven't purchased it yet and you're a pitcher or a pitching coach or a parent of a pitcher, please just go straight to gymscience.com and buy that book. You absolutely must have it. That's it for today. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe. You can also download the app. It's available for iPhone and Android. We'll be back in about two weeks. And in the meantime, we wish you safe and effective performance on the pitching mound.